Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning. So power went out right as we were starting first service and we're like, well, let's just go with it. And I came up to preach uh, the second part. So we're doing this series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. So we're reframing discipleship around three things. Uh, Be with Jesus, which is what we talked about last week. Become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. So I was going to talk about become like Jesus today, um, but I decided to take an opportunity to just wing it. So in the first service, we just went for it, or I just went for it, not knowing what would come out. But knowing that um, sometimes it's the, uh, it's the accidents, it's the, the breakdown of the car on the, on the road trip that brings the best memories out. And I think in, in our cur- current kind of culture and context of church life, it's really important to keep the church uh, focused on being a movement, on being uh, dynamic and not static. And I think we've so created and crafted and curated church environments that uh, don't exist in the real world. You know, it's, it, it seems in many cases we create these artificial environments for people to follow Jesus where there's these curated events that we just hang out together on Sundays or maybe in small groups. But the meat of Jesus' life in, in our life is not experienced Monday through Saturday in our nine to five, in our everyday ordinary life, as we parent, as we learn to follow Jesus, uh, wherever we are, as we are. And so uh, there's, in the scriptures, if you have a Bible, go to Psalm 46. I tried to find it in the first service. It took me about an hour. I'm just kidding. But so, Psalm 46, I want to just show you something. Verse one, and uh, it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surgings. And then it says, um, Selah. Do you guys see that? So Selah is this musical instruction in a liturgical setting for those who are reading this, uh, which actually is, in Hebrew um, is hard to translate. And so our best definition is a divine pause. So based on what you just heard, take a moment and pause and reflect on what was just said. Stop. Think about it. Selah. And it, I, I think for our culture at the moment in our society, what we need more than anything is a divine pause in our life, right? Like we need a moment to think. Anyone with little kids? Like you just need, like last week was chaos for me. I, I mean, even our community, they were like, Darren, are you okay? Like you need to take a break. So I had to cancel meetings and stuff because I was just going, 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 going. I feel like as we head into the holiday season, we need to just take a divine pause and this Sunday, um, I was really excited. I had these great slides, like really cool slides uh, that will help, will change your life. No, they're not going to change your life. 
Actually, they will <laughs> because they're slides about a spiritual formation paradigm of how we actually change. So next week, I'm going I'm to talk through those. But today, I thought, hey, so what came out of me in the first service, I was just like, I came up here and I said, Lord, we'll just kind of see where it goes. And we prayed. And then something came out. And I want to do that again by the Lord's grace. I want to create some space to just go off and uh, give us a divine pause to reflect on what it means to be church. And here's why. Because we're so comfortable today that everything in our culture alleviates the tension, the pain, the mystery. Everything in our culture wants to give you a pragmatic answer, a self-help, three steps, seven steps for prosperity, healthy relationships, one step for better body or whatever it is four-hour work week, four-hour body. We live in this, like, we need it immediately, this instant gratification culture. It's really important that we pull back, pause, allow for the, the fact that we, in this service, we're choosing to go without. We're choosing to fast. The expectations we all carry, whether we know it or not, in the moment we realize that we have the expectation is when it's not met. So we expect church to have coffee. And we don't realize that until coffee's gone. Especially in the first service. You guys have already had it. You're carrying it in your second cup. It's cool. You're anointed. We expect a place for our kids to go so we can have a, a moment of our, our own time as adults and we're not interrupted by the little ones, which seems a little ridiculous because Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And yet we create a little safety net for them. And in our church, we don't entertain them. We disciple them. And, and we're raising up right now. My, my son is praying for people, take, leading communion at our house because of our kids' ministry. It's amazing. But, that's, but, but we often think we, we need them to go somewhere else. We need lights and sound. And we need slides. And we need the verses to go on the screen. Uh, on the screen and we need... Um, audio, visual, and we need music. But if I was to say, one, two, three, let's worship, um, with whatever song you're bringing, it would be really hard and it would probably be really uncomfortable, even for me. But that's the expectation of the people of God. And that's just for the gathering, let alone what it means to be church. What does it mean to be church? What does it mean to be church? So if you're visiting, welcome. We're so glad. Welcome to our experimental service. But I want to just reorder our church, have a divine pause for what it means for us as a garden, um, based on whatever comes out. Um, but can I pray first? And if you're not with me, that's okay, because church is not built on one Sunday, or by me for that matter, but by Jesus. Lord, we just thank you. We pray your presence would be here. We want to be uh, people that are not of a program not of a building, not of a method, but of presence. I want to be people of the presence of God, marked with a singular focus that we are the place that God rests, moves, and empowers His way of life on earth as it is in heaven. So I pray, Lord, as we uh, sit in darkness, carrying, carrying the busyness and chaos of whatever life we have, good and bad, painful and joyful, 
I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to hear you uh, in a fresh way. So refresh our souls, Holy Spirit. You comfort, you advocate. You, uh, we come together to be strengthened, encouraged, and uplifted and released into life. And so often we carry the expectation to be fed or to receive at church. I pray, Lord, we would come to give today, that we would come to um, be uh, ready for what's next so that we can give out to the world what you're longing to give the world. We bless you, Lord, and we love you. Amen. Okay, 11.15, are you guys with me already? So I was reading today in our, our uh, garden reading plan, we read Mark 1 and 2. Do you guys, anyone read that today? So, so thank you, Joseph. I see you in the back. So Joseph, I'm gonna, me and you, we're going to be on the same page today, all right, bro? Everyone else, everyone else will just listen. You didn't finish two chapters? Come on, wait, did anybody, am I all by myself? Okay, Jesse, you're with me, okay. It's okay, amen, all by myself, up here. Oh, gosh, man, I had to wake up early. I had to read this and prep a sermon, and I'm not even doing the sermon today. But I have to do it, you know why? Because I had to preach, I was going to preach today on becoming like Jesus, and of all the weeks, the least like Jesus this week. I got in so many arguments with my spouse that I got her a card apologizing. I was so impatient with my first son that I had to get on my knees and apologize to him. I had to call my friends and confess sin. It was a horrible week for me. And no surprise that I'm preaching on Become Like Jesus. Because this is what he does. He humbles us to remind us um, we're all on journey together. Nobody has, I don't have it figured it out. If I'm half a step forward, you're probably half a step forward in something else. But I had to read today because I was about to preach. So out of guilt and shame, I, pre- I read my, my verse, <clears throat> my two chapters. Um, I didn't do the psalm. Uh, I'll get to that letter. <laughs> uh, anyone do all three? I'm just going to, okay, you're better. Great, you're good. Competition, you win. Um, and just so you know, we, we do have a circuit rider dodgeball team that's formed for all the circuit riders that are coming in our church. So you guys can be, and if you're not on a, a team, I just want to let you know, like, there's a lot of, you know, trash talk about who's going to win. <sighs> like, here's the deal. Like, last week we talked about um, how you become more like Jesus. It takes, it's like, it's like playing the guitar, right, second service? Like, you can't just pick up the guitar and do a guitar solo like Paul did. He's got 20 years of practice. And the truth be told, you might come next week thinking you have a chance at dodgeball, but I've been training my whole life. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So if there's one thing, if I was going to die tomorrow, this is what I would want to tell you, church. If I had to die, if this is the last thing I could say to you. This is the message in my heart for our church. And I want you to hear it loud and clear. So I pray the Lord just makes it loud and clear. But it's... It's, uh, you're, you're going to be so familiar with it because I talk about it all the time. But go to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is the verse that Mark uses to frame all of Jesus' teachings. So, 
Mark chapter 1, before we get there, I just think I'm reading the news and I'm having dialogue with lots of people in the church and the news continues to perpetuate the brokenness of our humanity. Would you agree? We are living in a time where um, people that once had moral standings in leadership no longer have the moral standings that we used to expect of them. Would you agree? And there are victims of that immorality. And some of you are victims of such immorality and abuse. So we live in a time, it's unfortunate and heartbreaking that it is becoming the norm for women and young men to be abused by people of power. It's heartbreaking. And the church of all places should be the place that calls out immorality because we reflect the alternative, the character of Christ. Where none of us are perfect in our own merit, but we can say we're moving in the right direction and leaders should move in the right direction with the character of Christ. Would you just agree with me on these things? Because there's, no there's no greater narrative to anchor ourselves into other than to becoming more like Jesus. As you become more like Jesus, you become more yourself, your true self. So we live in a time where we see it across the board. I mean, it's, it's just crazy what's happening. Um, but it makes sense. It makes sense. But also the other problem I have is that the church is, is giving Jesus some bad press. And Jesus needs some new PR. He, I mean, I, I don't know if you're, I mean, it's just, it's heartbreaking to me to see um, the community of faith that I've been anchored in for so many years represent so many things now that have nothing to do with Jesus of the scriptures. And what's happened over time is the church has become the Pharisee group. And we have to recognize this. And the Pharisees were legalists who attached themselves to a religious establishment of power, to a political establishment of policies and power, and to an economic way of life. And in our, in our context, it's a form of capitalism that is, has become a predatory economic system. That's pretty harsh. But this is how I see the church today. And I'm a part of the problem. We are a part of the problem. And the problem shouldn't be that there's only two ways to be a part of this community of faith. Either you join in with the way it's going and perpetuates a, a, a Jesus made in the Im image of the American dream, a married to greed and consumerism and married to a way of life that is just ideal for upper middle class Americans following the white dream. Or the other alternative is just to reject the faith altogether because of the model of witness we've been given. You see, there has to be a better way. And this is what Jesus came to do in his lifetime. He offered the alternative way of life. And it was a way of life. It wasn't believe in the right things and think yourself into Christ's likeness. It wasn't just reject it altogether and be a, a solo person following God in the desert. It always involved a community of people. And eventually it would be called the church. And the church was so, supposed to live such radical life that people on the outside would see God by how they lived amongst themselves. Are you with me? So if I had to die tomorrow, 
Church, I want you to embody and live and incarnate the message of Jesus. And do everything you can to just be obedient to this one verse in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It says this. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. So this message of Jesus, this is Mark's summary of all of the teachings of Jesus. What was the primary message of Jesus? The kingdom of God has come near. Now what that meant has so many layers and we'll talk about it in just a moment. But it begins with Jesus saying the time has come. And he's talking about an opportune time. And he's referring to basically the whole of the Old Testament narrative. And essentially what he's saying, everything that was promised in the Old Testament through the prophets is being fulfilled in my presence. So when we, when we come into Christianity, we don't enter in at the New Testament. We have to go back to the beginning of life and creation story. And it works its way through the people of Israel. And, and what we see is God just redeeming the people of God. And they are to live as priests and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to all other nations. If they obey his commandments, Exodus 19, verse 4 through 6. And the people of God don't obey his commandments. They don't obey his covenant. And eventually, over a long period of time, they become the empire that oppresses those underneath them. And the whole point of the Old Testament is, remember, you were once slaves, but I liberated you. When, when you have a field, save some for the poor, because you were once strangers and poor, but I rescued you and gave you the promised land. But they don't follow. They don't keep the commands. So you follow the story, and eventually they build empire of their own, and and they use slave labor, and God, God basically sends the Assyrians and the Babylonians in different times to exile them. And it's in exile that the Old Testament prophets begin to speak of a time after the temple is desecrated and destroyed. God's going to do it again. He's going to do a new exodus. This is the Old Testament. There's all these promises. God's going to come again and bring a messenger, a Messiah, who will save his people. God's going to bring justice for all people. He's going to liberate the oppressed. Anyone oppressed anywhere by God's hand will be set free. God, there's all sorts of Old Testament prophecies about healing and justice and forgiveness of sins, and resurrection of the dead. Isaiah, Joel, Daniel, Malachi, my, all of these Old Testament prophets are just talking about when God's going to do this thing, and it's called the day of the Lord. So when Jesus comes and he starts talking about time being fulfilled, every single Jewish boy and girl would have known exactly what to expect. The cosmos would be changed because of God. There'd be peace on earth. And Jesus comes and he says, it's happening. It's come. It's being fulfilled in my midst. So we're anchored in this Old Testament story being fulfilled in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It all points to him. But then he says, he gives us this language to describe this alternative life. He says, the kingdom of God has come near or is at hand. So Jesus talks more about this idea of the kingdom. And this is his language for the alternative life on earth. The kingdom is God's reign or rule. It's what life would look like if God was in charge. You could say, if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, it's what life looked like or what life was intended to be in the first place without sin and death. That's the phrase he uses is kingdom. 
the kingdom of God. A reality to be experienced among us as the people of God through Jesus. And the church is designed to carry on this message in life wherever we go, as we go. But this phrase, the kingdom, was riddled with so many implications. This idea of the life being restored the way it was intended. And the way you had access to it was through relationship. And this is, this is the message we carry. That the way you enter in is through right relationship. The way it was intended to be is first having a right relationship with God. And this is what Jesus comes to do for you. To restore your life back to God. And from that right relationship where you enter into this Abba Father relationship where everything between you and him are intimate and connected. Then the rest of your life begins to be re, uh, reordered around that right relationship. So you have this relationship with God. From this divine relationship, you begin to experience wholeness in your own personal life. Your emotional, spiritual, relational mental, physical life. And Jesus comes, so, so what do I mean? Like, like, you can't love someone well unless you know how to love yourself first. So Jesus, the only, and the only way you can love yourself well is if you understand that your love is first created to have a loving relationship vertically. So Jesus comes to restore this so that he can restore your insight. So there's a story when Jesus is confronted with a leper. Right? And I've shared the story. The leper story is so much more than physical healing. It's not about physical healing. It's about wholeness. It's about what happens after Jesus proclaims the kingdom when someone is confronted with the reality of God's reign on earth as it is in heaven. The leper was excommunicated from the temple. He could not worship with his fellow brothers and sisters. He was kicked outside of the city walls and he had to live alone and isolated, what kind of social implication did that have? He lost his vocation because of the condition of his skin disease, which had 70-something, there were 70-something uh, skin-related issues in the Old Testament that referred to leprosy. But if it's modern-day leprosy, to this day, you lose fingers and limbs. In India, we support uh, Harvest India that has a leper colony, not leprechaun or leper, leprechaun colony, a leper colony, a community for men and women that live with leprosy. And they don't, a lot of them don't have fingers. They're missing toes. They have missing face pieces. And they're all Christian. And if you ever want to experience the worship of God, go to the church that's led by uh, a, man, a pastor with leprosy, with no fingers, as he raises his hand in worship. And the rest of his church is full of leprosy and men and women who are married to these, or family members of those with leprosy. But the leper had social implications, economic implications. He probably was supported by his family members because he couldn't work. Had relational implications. Couldn't touch his kids. If he had kids, couldn't pick up his boys. Couldn't wrestle with them on the floor. Kicked out. Emotional. And the identity that this man had, anytime he would walk into the city to go to the temple to hear from the priest whether he was clean or unclean, he had to announce at the top of his lungs as he came in 50 paces away from everyone else, unclean, unclean. He had to wear and smell dirty clothes and look disgusting to, so everyone would know he's a leper. So this man comes to Jesus. He falls to his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And he gets cleaned. The leprosy leaves, but it's more than just healing. It's wholeness. Do you see what happens when the kingdom of God comes? And this is the call for the church. We're not called just to convert people to Christianity or save souls. 
We're called to live life in such a radical way that people experience wholeness. Yes, come forward and get prayer and be healed. But make sure that that person has a meal after church if they don't have money for a meal. Wholeness. Make sure that the community we have has rent paid. Make sure that they have somewhere to go on Thanksgiving. The church, brothers and sisters, this is the, the radical alternative. It's so amazing. It's so much more than a celebrity pastor with a stage full of bright lights and fog machine. It's so much more than a simple devotion to get your life with Christ like, uh, get your life with God right. It's rearranging everything around the announcement that God's presence and reign is at your fingertips. Grab it. The message is about what happens when the people of God take that seriously and begin to reorder their lives around this new alternative, this alternative life together. It had so many radical implications. In the next part of his sermon, three lines, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. Kingdom of God is at hand. It's a reality to be experienced. Experience it for yourself. I was talking to some people earlier, last couple weeks ago, I was telling them, so often we talk about, we use evangelism as this thing, like we got to evangelize people. And the problem with it, with it, it's like trying, for so many of us, it's like trying to explain a song to somebody that hasn't heard the song, right? Like try to explain, I've done this before, the Sigurás song, you know, like Icelandic gibberish. It's like an epic film. There's electric rain at the end. There's a slow buildup. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you, because you've heard the song. Others are like, what are you talking about? You know exactly what song. But we need to get people to hear the music. Not just tell them about it. In fact, we need to, we need to allow the music to reverberate out of our lives so as we walk down the street, people are like, I want what he has. And what happens is we get in our homes and, and we begin to rearrange our homes so the music just pours out of our windows. That's what God intended the kingdom of God to be like for us. And the phrase repent and believe is so much bigger than stop sinning, which the church has made it about that. And it is that. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's such a big deal. The Son of God died for you. But repent and believe in the first century context because we have outside biblical writings from Josephus, a Jewish historian who lived a few years after Jesus, who records Jesus' message, or records his historical facts, but more importantly records the triumphs of Rome in Jerusalem and other parts of the Roman Empire. He was a historian who writes, around 66 AD, there was a Jewish revolt in Galilee. Does this sound familiar? Jesus died in 30, 33 AD. So 30 years after Jesus, there were some Jewish people revolting against Rome. And Josephus was a Jew who worked on behalf of Rome and he went in on behalf of Rome to convince the rebels to align themselves with the Roman way and work with the Jewish aristocrats who are working with Rome. It's essentially, stop revolting. We're figuring this out diplomatically. And the phrase he used for the rebels in Greek was repent and believe in me. The same phrase in the gospel letters that Jesus uses in his message, repent and believe. What did it mean? It, mean to, it meant to give up your vision for life and the way you think the world works and realign yourself or align yourself to this new vision of life. Lay down your way of doing things and take up 
this new way and become a full participant or a revolutionary in this revolution. You see, that's the invitation of the church. We're not designed to create space for comfort. We're designed to go into the frontiers and bring life. We're designed to carry the message and life of Jesus wherever we go, as we are, as we go. Aligning and rearranging and reordering and reorienting our thinking, our behaviors, our, our finances. The American church, we've attached this thing to the, the economic system. Of, and our finances in the church and in, in America, in the, in, in the Western thinking, is built around yourself and your private dreams and your families. But, but the kingdom distorts that. And, and all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, what you see is this radical reallocation of resources. It's not, it's not communism. It's making sure that the, you use your resources in a way that empowers the common good. You can still take trips to Europe and go on vacations and buy a second home, but make sure that the people you've covenanted in community with are cared for. Make sure there are no needs among us because that will be the most revolutionary witness to the economic power that says you got there by your own strength. That's, we reject that and we say it's all a gift. We all have received life. Therefore, we steward it on behalf of the one who gave it to us. And in his economy, he says there's got to be enough for everyone. Even if it means going without so that they can have. That's the kingdom revolution. It gets into your finances. It gets into your hearts. It gets into your emotions. It gets into your social relationships. Why is church so hard? Because we're human. And humans have an inc uh, incredible intolerance for difference. Don't we? We all hang out with the same people that look like us, that have the same values like us, that treat their kids the same way, that have the same dreams, that vote the same way. That's a product of relationships. The church is the only place where we can come in with such differing of views, economically, politically, um, racially. We could, be, uh, we could be, have so much diversity, but we are drawn together as a new humanity under the covering of Christ. So we don't get to pick and choose who belongs to the church. We're all beggars for look, looking for the bread of life. Are you with me? And this is the message. We don't get to decide who's in and out. We just get to spread the message everywhere we go. Just keep, keep, keep including. Just keep walking on. I love that phrase. When you have more than enough, don't build a higher fence. Build a longer table. Oh, should that not be the way of our church? So the message of Jesus is so revolutionary. And this is, this is if we could just hold on to this verse and be, allow it to seep into our, our bones and allow Christ and his life, his death, his message, his resurrection to be the thing that moves and compels this community forward, then there's no building big enough. There's no city we won't be in. We will experience the revolution in Long Beach as it is in heaven and it will spread to nations because we took it seriously. And we, we didn't just say, let's criticize those churches because we're part of the problem. Instead, we offered the alternative. All we have to do is treat each other the way Christ treated us, love each other with all of the differences, lay our lives down for one another and people on the outside will say, how do you do it? And all you say is come and see. 
because I trust the church. I trust this church. If you just hang out, if you get in the house church, you hang out long enough, you'll both experience great pain and great power of God. You will share your stuff and people will share their stuff with you. That's the point of this thing that we get to be a part of the church. Christ died for the church. He loves his church. It's his bride. He's going to marry her. And he's going to perfect her. He's going to perfect us. And I think, brothers and sisters, what we need is just a wake-up call today. A divine pause to slow down and let's just evaluate our life and the trajectory of where we're going. Let's evaluate our assumptions and expectations of what church is and is not. Let's realign ourselves to the king of this kingdom, to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And let's allow the message that he brought to change us, to rearrange the furniture in our homes, every aspect and every dimension of ourselves. And then let us bring that and offer that to the world. Because that's the point. It's not just, it's not for you, it's for everyone. It's for you and anyone. But let's carry it, let's embody it, let's repent and believe the good news. Amen? Amen. That's all I got. So tomorrow, if I'm no longer here, (laughs) seriously, just replay that, and we'll have a revolution on our hands. And it'll just go. And you don't have to worry about buildings, facilities, or budgets like I worry about. Just release that and follow Jesus into the world, into your workplace, into your home, into your neighborhood, carrying this powerful revolutionary message. And the truth is, we could see a revival and a reformation in our lifetime because the seeds of revival and reformation are in every generation. We just have to let it take root. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.